Uh, I'm thankful tonight for uh, his grace and his mercy. Amen. And we're thankful for you that are here tonight. Appreciate you, those that are with us online. Uh, and we're glad again for everybody that is here. Thankful. Uh, amen. Again for uh, the opportunity to be here. But we're gonna we're gonna move right in uh, back into our study on the effects of the Tower of Babel uh, and you know things uh, in the Word of God. Uh, again, you know I've seen a lot of debate. Uh, online this week, it seems like um, with, with a lot of folks that I know, uh, people debating uh, the Word of God and, and giving their interpretation and uh, giving their opinion and their thought uh, about that. And, uh, you know, uh, opinions are like armpits. We all have two and they both sink. Uh, so that's kind of how I feel about what we are, you know, when it comes down to uh, us and the Word of God and our opinions. Opinions matter and they do make a difference, but uh, you know, when it comes to taking the Word of God and, and trying to, uh, you know, make it suit us, uh, again, I'm thankful for the Word. And there's there's so much in the Word, so much hidden in the Word. Uh, praise God. But just real quick, uh, I just want to uh, refresh us on uh, where we excuse me, where we were Last week in the story of the Tower of Babel, which is found in Genesis chapter 11, amen, uh, Genesis chapter 11, we talked about uh, the word language uh, last week and uh, the two uh, different uh, Hebrew words for language are Lashon and Sophal, uh, Lashon equals tongue, or excuse me, means tongue, that's my, that's my means on my notes, sorry, uh, and this literally means language, and so uh, we talked about how that Lashon, or tongue, because in, in chapter 10, it speaks about how all of the uh, sons of Noah, they all separated, and they all uh, became families, and there were 70 families, and it says that they all separated according to their language and according to uh, their, their nation and their families. And then we get into Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1 that speaks about uh, getting us into the Tower of Babel. And it says that everyone was one language. And so uh, we, we look at the difference in that and uh, understand that God's not contradicting himself. And so we, we realize from the, from the Hebrew, the Shana's tongue or the dialect, and then Sophal is the major language. So we see that uh, they all spoke one major language, uh, but they uh, all had a different dialect. And so we talked last week about that's a difference, and some say pop, some say soda, but we're all talking about a carbonated cola or a beverage or something of that nature. Uh, you know, you say on, I say and. You say tomato, I say tomato, so on and so forth. So. Um, it's kind of, that's kind of different. So they all were speaking one language, but there was different dialects. So in chapter 10, it was speaking about when they separated the 70 uh, families and these nations, if, we, if you will, uh, with their different dialects all separated. But when we get to chapter 11 with the uh, actual Tower of Babel, uh, it, they are speaking the same language. So, uh, you know, it, it's like English. Again, uh, the English language, we speak the English language, they speak the English language in, uh, in England, but they have a different dialect than we do. There's different words and 
uh, that kind of thing. You can go into accents and all of that kind of thing, but it's still the same language, uh, just depending on where you're at. So uh, we talked about that and uh, what that was about. We also talked about how that they settled in the land of Shinar, uh, and that Shinar was more about a lifestyle and not a geographic location. Shinar is where Nimrod uh, had his kingdom. So his kingdom was in the land of Shinar. And we know that Nimrod was uh, <clears throat> not, a, uh, not a good person, if we can say it like that. Uh, his ideology, his mindset uh, began to change things. And so it says that also in chapter 11 that they journeyed from the east. So uh, if you want to go ahead and pull that verse 1 for me there in chapter 11. And it said the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. Then just verse 2. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. So uh, again, uh, journeying from the east. We talked about what the east represents. Keeping in mind that in the scripture especially in the Hebrew language. There are a lot of metaphors. There are a lot of things. And that's why you'll see certain phrases or certain words or certain ideas repeated all throughout the Scripture. Uh, and it's because it is saying something. There's something that is deeper there, something that is hidden. And that's, you know, that's why, uh, you know, it's, it's important to take time sometimes to do what we're doing, to be able to see and understand that and realize that, uh, things don't just uh, happen to be happening because there's no uh, coincidence in God. So we talked about they journey from the east. The east is the place where light comes from. It's the place where the sun rises. So it's the place where uh, where where light dispels a man or uh, chases darkness at the beginning of the day. Amen. So uh, uh, when they journey from the east, journey from the place of the light, if I can say it like that. Or a journey from the source of truth and godliness, light, uh, uh, the light of the, of the gospel, the light which is Jesus Christ, all of that, light representing truth and godliness and righteousness and everything that God intended. How many knows that God does not want us to live in darkness? He wants us to walk in the light. We are children of the light. And if we walk in darkness, that's not His will. So it is His will to bring light to any areas in our life where there might be darkness. And this is with our understanding. This is with revelation. This is with uh, our, our walk, our relationship with the Lord. Uh, so that darkness is not just sin. It doesn't mean that darkness isn't just, you know, this uh, heaviness of sin. When, when uh, you know, a lot of people right now are walking in darkness because they're blinded. Their eyes, there's a veil over their eyes that they can't see. But if that veil gets lifted, then uh, they see the light, if you, if, if you will. And so then they begin to do that. This is why the, the enemy does not want you to get the light. He doesn't want you to have the revelation because when you do, amen, what is exposed in the light, amen, becomes truth to you, okay? So now uh, the things that were hidden in darkness exposed in the light, you can't walk away from that. It's not as easy to turn around and say, oh, well, I, I, that wasn't there. That didn't, that didn't exist or that didn't happen. So he doesn't want us to have that revelation because the more revelation that you have, the harder it is to walk away from truth. Okay? And the more 
uh, established, you become in your foundation in your walk with God through Jesus Christ. And uh, the more the more founded we become on Jesus, who is the cornerstone, right, the sure foundation, the one that can't be moved. And so, if we're anchored in that foundation, we're not going to go anywhere, even when we're walking in darkness. Amen. So, uh, uh, and there's going to be some things. The Bible says that we we now see some things in darkness as looking in a mirror. But there will come a time when everything will be brought to light. Do I believe that we will be able to see everything uh, before we leave this earth? No, I do not. But I believe when we get in the ultimate light, which is God and Jesus Christ, things are going to make sense. And by that time, we ain't going to care, okay? Because we're going to be, we're going to have this flesh. It's going to be, uh, amen, we're going to have a new body. Uh, we're going to be translated, transformed, uh, and we're not going to care. But things are going to make sense uh, and such a deep, settled peace in that light. So, uh, again, uh, they, were, they left the light. They left truth. They left godliness. And they settled in the land of Shinar, which is where Nimrod set up his kingdom. So they were leaving. And what what was in Shinar? We know that if if Nimrod was the king of Shinar, that was his kingdom, we know that Nimrod uh, decided that uh, it would be a good idea to try life without God as the central uh, figure in that life, in the life. So uh, we see that he now is pulling away from that from the idea that God should be in the center of everything. That uh, uh, that we need God to live. That we need God to make it. So now they're leaving truth. They're leaving godliness, and they're going to the place. So literally, they're abandoning the idea of God being the center of everything. Okay, God's got to be the center of everything in your life. If He is not. Something is going to cause you to uh, to be halted. It's going to cause you to uh, be deceived. It'll the possibility of being tripped up. The possibility, uh, the greater possibility of failing uh, more often. Okay, right? I, we know we get back up. We have grace and all of that. Not saying that, but the point is, how I many knows that uh, I'd rather not fail tomorrow if I don't have to, right? I'd rather not have to go before uh, the Lord. You understand what I mean? He said he would rather we didn't. But if we did, that we have that advocate, which was Jesus Christ, the righteous. So anyhow, they were uh, abandoning the idea that God being the center of everything was important. So uh, we, we, we talked about Nimrod being a hunter. Uh, we know that uh, God allowed the eating of meat after they came off the ark. So God allowed people to eat meat once the flood was over. They came off of the ark. So that the point being is that there was probably a lot of people that were hunters, okay, because they hunted for their food, their meat. So it's not like Nimrod was, uh, was this, uh, you know, exclusive hunter, was the only one that hunted. Uh, but he was a hunter. Now, I don't know if I said it last week or not, but the word for hunter here is the Hebrew word uh, Sayyid. And uh, that's one of those Hebrew TS connections. It's Sayyid. But uh, that's really fun with these plastic braces on. So um, it's Sayyid. That is the word for hunter. 
Now, we understand that uh, that hunter means to chase. It also means in the Hebrew to catch. But in the Hebrew, it means to catch men as well as animals. Okay? So, uh, Nimrod being the hunter uh, and uh, the Bible or the scriptures are telling us there in the Hebrew that Nimrod was a hunter of men. Now, this did not mean that he hunted men down, shot them, and killed them. Okay, and uh, that's kind of where we're gonna we're gonna go back into tonight as we uh, move forward in just a few verses. There's so many things in these first four verses of chapter 11. Uh, so that's kind of where we're gonna. Uh, move back into is that uh, uh, so the idea that Nimrod was hunting men meant that he was seducing them. He was uh, uh, bringing them over to his ideology. Now remember, these are people that have heard the, the story of the flood. Noah uh, was their grandfather, their great-grandfather, and their fathers were uh, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so they heard how God uh, rescued them and saved them and his mercy and grace brought them through the flood and so they've heard and they've been taught that God should be the center of everything right this is what they have been taught now uh, here comes Nimrod trying to uh, seduce them or to convince them uh, that his idea is a better way uh, you know, uh, that's ex exactly how the enemy works, right? Uh, he always he always makes you uh, believe that the grass is greener over here, but he forgets to remind you that somebody has to take care of that grass, that it will grow and grow weeds and all of this if somebody doesn't tend to it. And his grass, in order for it to stay green, means you got to go his way. you got to compromise and sin. And so uh, it's the same thing. So, uh, you know, who's hunting these people? Who's seducing them with his ideas? It is Nimrod, right? Nimrod is that one now that uh, is taking that. And it's interesting that one person, one person can be used to, uh, to break down uh, generations of uh, truth and teaching. And so we're going to talk a little bit uh, tonight uh, about how that can happen, about how that uh, the possibility of that is even there. And so we know that Nimrod's name uh, tells us that uh, it means to be higher. It means to be elevated. So he was telling them, uh, you know, get down. You've got to get lower than me because that's the only way that I can get high. That's the only way that I can become elevated or great in your sight is that if you become lower than me or you allow yourself to get down uh, lower than me. And so uh, so now we get, uh, again, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Now let's look at... Uh, Verses 3 and 4, uh, that follows right after. So the very next verse says, And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name, excuse me, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of of the whole earth. So there's an underlying tone there 
that we may talk about later, but uh, uh, see where see where there was a fear there upon them. They 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 first of all was convinced that this ideal was good. This was something that was going to make a difference because they feared if they didn't that they would be scattered uh, abroad upon the face of the earth. So somewhere along the line, Nimrod planted the idea that if they didn't follow after his idea that they were going to be scattered. Kind of sounds like the Garden of Eden, right? When when Satan came in and told Eve, you know, uh, and, and took this, uh, you know, you will die. Uh, but see, that's what you've got to understand. How many knows that when we, when we come full circle and we walk away from what we know to be truth and what we know to be right, that it's not just an overnight decision. It's not just something that, uh, and so uh, uh, because the enemy comes and begins to say things, and begins to plant things, and begins to put doubt, he begins, uh, uh, you know, to make it relevant for us. He'll, he'll put doubt, well, you know, all of that stuff, I'm not sure that that's even really true. I'm not sure that that stuff is even really uh, necessary. Or, uh, you know, is that really God? Or does God really, uh, really need me to, to be that consecrated? Do I really need to uh, to have that much faith? How is it that, that so he begins to plant these little thoughts, and this is what Nimrod did. It began to uh, sow into them the idea that, you know what, you don't need God. God doesn't need to be the center of everything. It's all right if you have God. It's all right if you worship Him, but He just doesn't have to be the center of everything. And that's how it starts, right? That's how... It begins, and it begins to uh, do that way. I saw something uh, today, an illustration uh, someone shared that was was pretty awesome. Uh, you know, the enemy uh, doesn't want us to realize, does wants us to think that we don't need to walk in the holiness of God and, uh, you know, seek after uh, what God has set out. And the illustration was, uh, you know, he was serving the people in the congregation uh, food on dirty plates. And he said, eat it. But the plates were dirty. And he, he was talking about, and it was about how God is, God's not impressed with, with the food that you have to offer because if you try to offer it on a dirty plate, people are not going to want to eat it. So the plate needs to be clean, just as important as the food uh, that you're serving. So your gifts are not first. It's walking in the righteousness and the truth of God, then your gifts become important. So, you know, the enemy doesn't come and just convince us overnight. It's a process. And so fear began to be planted in them, and we can see that underlying fear in these verses. And so, uh, you know, let, let's think about these two verses for a minute. Go back to verse 3, if you would, please, uh, and, and see, you know, so, uh, I'm sorry, go to verse 2 for me. Uh, so, you know, it says it came to pass, and so time uh, passed, and they journeyed from the east. Now they found a, a place, and they began to dwell in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And then the third verse, again, uh, goes from that. They began to say to one another, let us make bricks. So uh, if I could tell you um, about two verses appearing in a certain order, uh, but I'm not going to tell you the order of those particular verses. And uh, these verses being about a logical or a normal way or a logical way that somebody like Nimrod, uh, who wants to build a movement and wants people to get excited about the new idea, how would he approach it? 
How would, would, would someone uh, uh, begin to speak to uh, these people that he's trying to get excited about this new idea, that he's trying to seduce, or he's trying to convince them uh, that this is a better way, and he's wanting to build a movement. How, uh, how would those uh, verses appear? What order? So I'm going to give you two examples of, uh, of some verses, and you think about how uh, those verses would be in order that you think logically uh, would be how this uh, person or someone like Nimrod would get the people to uh, go with his idea. So the first one uh, would be something like, hey, I've got a great idea. Let's make bricks, and I know how we can do it. You get mud, you put it in a mold, and then you put it in the furnace. Uh, you want to do it? You want to build bricks? That's the first verse. Or the second verse would be, hey, I, I want you to come, and I want you to join me, and we're going to build a city. I want, us, I want us to all come together and we're going to build a city. It's going to be a grand city up on a hill. And right in the middle of that city is going to be uh, a, a big tower right in the middle. And that is a place where you and I, where, where human beings will be able to fulfill their deepest aspirations, their dreams, and their uh, visions for life will be able to be fulfilled uh, in this city. And uh, it, it's going to bring civilization to a new level uh, if only you'll help me build this city. And they might, they might reply and say, well, how are we going to build the city? And then he would reply and something like, well, we're going to uh, uh, make bricks and I know how to make them. Now what, what logical order do you think just those two verses would be if you were going to convince someone uh, that your idea was a good idea and you were going to get them to come on your side. The second verse would come first. You're, you're, you're not going to appeal to them by saying, hey, dude, you want to make some bricks? You want to work? <laughs> I know how. Let's do it. Probably not. That's not going to be your way. See ya. Right? No, nah, I'm good. I work hard enough. That's okay. The logical thing is going to be say, hey, why don't you come with me? We're going to build this city. And man, this city is going to get the opportunity for, uh, for all of mankind to uh, excel and to reach all of their goals and their desires and their aspirations. Uh, that's going to be uh, likely what you're going to say first before you say, we can build bricks. Because, you know, the average person is going to say, okay, well, how are we going to build a city? Because no one had ever done this before. Keep that in mind. You know, there's, there's no other plan to go off of. There's no other model to go off of. This had never been done in this uh, fashion before. But when we look at Genesis 11, verses 3 and 4, the, the two verses that follow uh, verse 1 and 2, it's the opposite. First they say, hey, let's go make bread. And then they said, let's build for us a city. So it's the opposite, which logically, to me anyway, that doesn't stand to reason. Because most of the time, again, you're going you're gonna to 
You're going to get a negative response. But here's the thing. Why go to the trouble of building bricks? Why go to all of the trouble of building bricks? Stones are found in the ground. Stones are found in the earth. They are a natural uh, element. They're found in the ground. You remove them uh, to grow things, but you can also use them to build things. They would take them out of the ground and they would build walls with the stone to surround uh, their, their property and their uh, area. So uh, there's a big difference between stones and between bricks because when you look at a stone, you're reminded who made them. God. God made the stones. But when you look at bricks, you have to be reminded who made bricks. Man. Man. Bricks are man-made. Stones are made by God. They are formed out of the earth that God created. Another difference in stones that is important to realize in stones and bricks is that not any two stones are alike. They're unique in their character, in their shape, in their size, but every brick looks the same. It's all the same. Every brick is identical. Does God like us to be bricks or stones? I can answer that for you because First Peter says that we are lively stones in the household of God. So God likes us to be stones and not bricks. See, God, again, we talked about this last week. God made each of us unique that we can, uh, each of us can develop our abilities. And when you put one stone that looks different, that is a different shape, a different size, uh, a different color. Uh, and when you put that with another stone, uh, even though they're both stones, then they begin to build something and they begin to make something that's stronger, greater, better than that stone would be by itself. And so uh, God made each of us the same way. Uh, all of our gifts and our abilities are we're all unique. That's why we're created in God's image. Created in God's image has nothing to do with male and female. It has nothing to do with the sex. It has to do with God made us in his image that we are unique, that we are unique creations. And there are gifts and things in us that when you bring us together in relationship, then we begin to be like him. We begin to show who God is. Are you with me? Because everything about God and his character, you know, I said it uh, last week, he's the big C with the little C, right? He's the ultimate creator. And so there's things that only God can do, right? We establish that. There's things that only God can do, but he chooses to partner with us to procreate, to bring things, to bring him into uh, uh, people's lives, to show the love, the grace, the mercy, the peace, the joy, the prosperity, the long-suffering, all of the things, the goodness, uh, uh, the things of God. When you put us together, then we begin to display God and what we build and who we are should show others around us what God looks like, what God sounds like, what, what it's like to be around God. Are you with me? This is why the enemy is a pervert. This is why he perverts everything that God created. Anything that he does is a perversion of what God has already established because he is not a creator. He is a thief. He seals God's design. He seals God's 
blueprint. He is a thief. He seals and he wants to seal God's glory. He wants to steal, amen, God's uh, uh, favor and that. So God made us all unique, amen? And so here comes Nimrod now uh, uh, saying that he wants everybody to be identical. He's wanting everybody to look the same, be the same, act the same, do the same thing, serve the same purpose, okay? We've seen this trend before, right? Uh, that trend of Nimrod trying to make everyone the same or trying to squash individuality, uh, you know, bringing in this all-inclusiveness that we're all equal. No, we're not. We're all created the same, but we are not equal in the manifestation of our lives because we all have made different choices. Okay, so we are equal when it comes to being created by God. We're equally deserving of grace, mercy, and everything that God is. Amen. But we are not equal in each other's sight because there's things you master and that you uh, can do and perfect that I can't, vice versa. But when you put us together, Wow, it becomes a whole. We become, so then, so then, you know, it becomes instead of just a three-piece band, it becomes an orchestra and an orchestra. So there might be two, uh, four, five, six, seven, multiple flutes. There might be, but when you bring all of them together, some of the flutes can, I'm, I, don't, I can't read music, so, but some of the flutes can, can play a man, a uh, certain uh, flats and certain uh, a man notes and certain harmonies. Amen. While the other flute can uh, can play this, but a flute is a flute is a flute makes the same sound, but it brings forth a different uh, effect when it's all brought together. So uh, now uh, Nimrod is coming in, and we've seen this. This this is in our world today. That's why they. That's why back in the day uh, they were the, the government was so against uh, why they had to. Uh, you had to pay. And there had to be uh, special uh, permits for uh, private schools. Uh, and they they uh, made homeschooling uh, a mockery because they want everybody to learn the same thing the same way. Bottom line, now, I'm not I'm not dissing education, but I'm telling you that this. This identity of Nimrod is not anything that was just exclusive to him. We said it last week. There's a Nimrod somewhere in all areas of history. Amen? Uh, so uh, we see this, trying to bring everybody now, and that's all you hear now, right? We should all, we should all be able to come worship together. No, we shouldn't. If you do not worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you worship some false god, we cannot worship together. Somebody's going to be the main god. Are you with me? So it doesn't mean that we can't assemble together. It doesn't mean that I can't sit with you. And, and But my point being, that's not what they're after. They're wanting everybody, they're wanting to present that. And so that's what we're seeing today. Everybody is equal. Yeah. Or does not in the sense that they're trying to, to bring it. And that's why when you learn to love people, you love them the way God loves them because they are deserving of just as much grace, 
mercy and love that you are. You have no right to decide when any of that is cut off. None of us do. None of us have the right to put down the gavel and say, okay, that's enough grace in their life. That's enough mercy over them. That's enough love for them. Come on, God. None of us have the right to do that. That's judging. Okay? So, again, uh, he made us all unique. And so, again, this is nothing new. We've seen this before. You can look all down through history. Now, remember that we can identify certain words in the Bible, uh, and those certain words reveal something spiritual. How many knows that everything at the end of the day is spiritual? Okay, whether you are walking with God or not, everything at the end of the day is spiritual. But when you're walking in relationship with the Lord, everything is spiritual. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, when, when you stub your toe or you lose your wallet, but the, it's the devil's fault. Because maybe you stubbed your toe because you had your nose in the phone. <laughs> And wasn't paying them where you're going, and then you set the tone. Right? The devil did not wait in your driveway and send someone to drop a nail or a screw in that particular parking place just so that you would hit it and your tire would get fired. But when those things happen, he will take advantage of the frustration and the anger. And the, uh, everything that comes with it, now it's a spiritual battle. Now you've got to decide what's going to be stronger, my flesh or the spirit. So we can identify certain words in the Bible that reveal something spiritual. We see that in the word brick, okay, or bricks, however you want to, however you want to. But we see that in the word bricks in the scriptures. Uh, when we see the word brick, or bricks in the scriptures, it, uh, it's telling us uh, something uh, deeper, something on a spiritual level, and that is that people are being reduced from uh, the unique creatures that they were created by God into a mass um, set of enslaved uh, set of units where each person uh, it, it loses their individuality. So when we see bricks, when we see brick in the scripture, we're not just seeing uh, things made of mud and clay that are put in a mold and that are put in a furnace and then used to build things, construct things that all look the same and they're all uniform. Now, I'm not saying that using brick is a sin. I'm not saying that building things with brick is wrong. If you get what I'm saying, okay? Uh, but, uh, and, and, uh, those each person uh, now is being put into or being in this mass enslaved set of units where each one of those people lose their individuality and they exist only in the way a brick exists in a big wall. When you, unless it's a different color, when you look at a brick wall, do you see one and think, oh my, what a beautiful brick? A brick is a brick is a brick is a brick. Right? When you see a brick wall, you see bricks. Nothing stands out. But how many's ever looked at a stone wall? And there's been a stone that's been a different color or it's been a unique shape. And you're like, wow, look at that. Look at that stone in, in, instead of all the others. 
So uh, that that uh, the word grip it just it, it just is just barely existing. So uh, that is really insignificant in and of itself, uh, and only part of the whole. In this case, uh, in this, these scriptures here, uh, it's part of the state or that structure of power. Who is this Nimrod? But it's always a Nimrod. Okay, so that that structure of power that uh, that one gets enslaved in, uh, there's always a Nimrod. So you got to understand that uh, the 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 overall or the general negativity of bricks we see uh, that we specifically see when it comes to an altar. Okay, an altar of God ought to be made of stone and not bricks. Okay, uh, uh, what is an altar? It's a place where we go to become what? Closer to God. It's a place where we go to be intimate with Him. So it makes sense that it should be made of God's material and not man's. I wonder how many of us have built our own altars out of the things that we think will draw us closer to God. Might preach that sometime. Okay? That, that's, that's not the will of God. So it, 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 it makes sense that those should be made of God's material. Isaiah chapter 65, I believe it's around verse 3, is a reflected, it reflects God's anger uh, over Israel's sin. There's, uh, God, is, uh, God is showing and uh, giving uh, his uh, anger for Israel's sin. And one, in verse 3, one of those sins that God rebukes them for is making altars of brick. He said, you've offered sacrifices unto me on altars of brick. So God, God doesn't want uh, the altars made of brick. So uh, that's, that's, that's where we see uh, a general negative uh, connotation from the scripture. But brick is always a metaphor for converting people from their special uniqueness that God has created them into nothing but essentially slaves. So when you become a brick, you become enslaved to the work of the enemy. And I'll say this, there's some bricks sitting in the house of God all across every Sunday. Right? Okay? God didn't, God didn't call us to be bricks. What, what do we see in the book of Exodus? We're getting ready, we're coming upon resurrection, we're coming upon Passover. What do we see in the book of Exodus? Uh, what Pharaoh enslaves Israel, and the Bible says what? That um, his strategy is Nimrod's strategy. He's imitating Nimrod. What's he doing? He's, he's, he's enslaving them bitterly. And what did they do? They made bricks and mortar. Bricks and mortar. So he's imitating or he's using Nimrod's strategy where the, that bitter, uh, uh, hard slavery and with mortar and bricks. So this describes Nimrod's strategy uh, that's being used. So uh, can I tell you, you can't have slaves if the people see themselves as individuals. This is how the enemy snatches and keeps the mind of a lot of born-again believers is that they do not see their identity 
in God. They cannot see their individuality in the covenant of God. When they see themselves in the, the, uh, the, the mass or in the number or in the army, they don't see themselves as individuals, as an identity that God created them in his image. Therefore, uh, that's how he keeps their mind enslaved. So you can't have a slave if that person sees themselves as an individual. So the people of Israel were doing what? They were losing their uniqueness and they were becoming bricks. Okay? And that's what that's that's one of the strategies. But Pharaoh didn't just use bricks, he used mortar as well. So we need to look now that it only stands the reason that if bricks play a role in this ideology and in this Tyranny, I'm going to say it that way, of, of Nimrod, uh, then uh, mortar must play uh, a, a role also. So we need to look at the role uh, that mortar plays in that strategy, uh, which always seems to make miserable the lives of human beings, right? So uh, it, it's always there. So now let's look again at verse 3. three. Yeah, it's free, but let's look at verse 3. Uh, they said one to another, Excuse me. Go to, let us make brick, burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. Okay? The word slime here is the word kamar. That's also translated as Beethoven. We talked about Beethoven on Sunday morning in our, uh, our message. Uh, that is the word for, the Hebrew word for slime is kemar. The Hebrew word for mortar is komer. Is it the pitch that you're talking about? Not this. No. No, the the kemar was uh, the Beethoven that we talked about. No, is that the, because when you talk about making the basket, wasn't it, they're like tar and pitch, both that they used? Yeah, yeah, the tar was the pitch, is what, is what. That's what it's the same thing. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, but, but what I want you to notice here, again, remember the uniqueness of the Hebrew language. These two words almost look the same, right? The only difference, of course, is, okay, the vowel. So, we know what, that. These have got to have a connection in the Hebrew language. That's not coincidental. That's how God designed it. I believe this is the language they were speaking during this time, uh, but that's neither here nor there. So uh, sometimes, in, in some translations, this is translated as cement. So you may see cement, you may see slime, uh, it, but uh, again, it is, it's, that, it's that Hebrew word. Uh, but here's, here's what, I'm not going to go into a lot, break all these down a whole lot. I want you to see the similarities here and that uh, one benefits the other, if I can say it like that. Okay, what good, what good is, is a brick without mortar? What good is mortar without a brick? Right? Something's got to hold them together. Okay, we know that mortar is what 
hold brick together. So they had brick for some. You catch that? I like to see this brick instead of some. But now this was natural. All they had to do was dig it up. But they worked to make that. Think about that. That he convinced them this was a better way. Because he appealed to their desire, their humanness, okay? I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, but here, it's what you've got to understand. It's the same spiritual thing. But they had brick for stone when they could have dug it up. Now, it would have been some work to dig it up, but how many knows you wouldn't have had to make mud? You wouldn't have had to pour it in the mold. You wouldn't have had to keep the fire going in the furnace if they didn't have electricity. You wouldn't have had to have somebody put the molds in the fire, watch it, bring it out. You wouldn't have had to have somebody to get the mortar. You wouldn't have had to have somebody to stuff. You get what I'm saying? Okay? So, they, uh, something, uh, the mortar kept them together. In the Hebrew, understanding that brick uh, is that, uh, that way of us losing our individuality, losing our uniqueness, losing our stone. Uh, uh, presentation of being unique and created in the image of God, having special, each one being different and special, uh, and the, the mortar uh, bringing them together. So first, uh, we understand that uh, that is what we see in the Hebrew here. Now, what keeps them together? The mortar. In the Hebrew, uh, materialism is what unified the bricks. So, it was materialism. Now, this is, we're talking about the spiritual metaphor, right? The mortar kept the bricks together, right? All right, the mortar kept the bricks together. But the brick being the, each one losing their individuality. Now, materialism is what's going to bring them all together or kept them together. So first, we make everybody the same as everybody else. Everybody's equal, right? Make everybody the same as everybody else. That means, though, think about that. That means that they're interchangeable. They're just some kind of, uh, of, of, of social or some kind of economic cog in, in a machine. So it's just really not, again, when you look at a wall of bricks, a brick is a brick is a brick. So they're interchangeable. One brick gets cracked. You can do what? Pull it out, get another one, put it in. No individuality, interchangeable. That means that their gift and everything, that uniqueness, the image that God created them is now being squashed. It's now being snuffed out. So that means destiny. That means calling. Okay, that is on your life. That's why the enemy wants to keep us bound with, uh, with, with stuff. With, with addiction, with uh, anxiety, with all of these things. And he wants to keep us bound with that because it squashes our individuality. It makes us a brick instead of a stone. Okay? And that's what the enemy wants to do. So, uh, uh, then, then, so they're welded together. They're put together with something material. Now you say, what does material mean? Uh, well, material doesn't just mean going out and buying things. You know, we think about somebody being materialistic. We think about things, right? They're, they're more interested in stuff or, or what they can buy in houses and clothing and jewelry and cars and stuff, right? The person that's materialistic, it's not 
Uh, it doesn't mean just going out and buying things. Materialism <laughs> is when we view human beings as essentially um, nothing more than about 10 or 20 dollars uh, worth of chemicals, right? A little bit of hydrogen, some oxygen, uh, some potassium, some iron, and some carbon. Bam. That's all they're worth. That's, that's materialism. That's all they are. Just matter, no soul. When, okay, that's what materialism, materialism is. It's seeing a human being. And if we're not careful, see, this is the thing. If we're not careful, if we become so self-righteous in our revelation, our truth, our understanding, our religion, our experience, our, <coughs> our growth, our level of, of, of maturity, if we become so self-righteous in that, we can look at people, even though we are not purposely maybe uh, doing it, we can look at people and see them in that way. And sometimes our words and our actions can make them feel like a brick and not a stone because we have now devalued them and just made them just matter or material and no soul. Okay, so what's the difference in material and spiritual? Now, material, um, when, when we think about material, um, you know, a, we, have, we have what? Our modern science now can uh, take an expectant mother and they can tell her what the sex of the baby is going to be, whether that baby is going to be uh, a girl or a boy. Uh, they can uh, they can distinguish characteristics. It's going to have daddy's nose, or it's going to have. It looks like it's got these eyes, right? And and and, and science can even uh, let you know that if if it's a boy, that uh, it's it might be subject to male pattern baldness. So be thankful you have a girl, Chris. <laughs> I couldn't help it. Um, <laughs> It just, it just, just came right. <laughs> but they can also tell that baby's body type. They can tell whether that baby's going to have physical disabilities, right? Modern science has, has brought us there. But they cannot tell you whether your child's going to grow up honest or crooked. Science can't tell you whether or not your child's going to be uh, a, 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 an honest and reliable friend or if it's going to be a theme. <laughs> Right? It can't tell you that. Science can't tell you uh, those kind of things. They, they, they can't measure whether that child is going to be loyal, whether that child is going to be honorable when it grows up. They can't measure whether that child is going to be an optimist or whether that child is going to be a pessimist. You understand what I mean, right? An optimist is a glass half full, a pessimist is a glass half empty. How do you look at it? So they, science can't, they can't measure that. Uh, so our inability to determine these things isn't because there's a flaw in, uh, in, in the, the, the expert skill or there is a flaw in the medical, medical equipment. Uh, that, the, the thing is, is that that's due to our, uh, our, our mistaken tendency to try and use science for everything, Right? We try to use science for everything. That's that's kind of the argument you'll get a lot now, especially in a lot of the things that are 
in the church culture, you know, uh, science. Uh, you know, no one instrument is good for everything. So say, say for instance, say that, uh, let's take an oven thermometer. An oven thermometer, the temperature goes from 200, I don't know, say to 600. Say it goes from 200 degrees to 600 degrees. You can, you can get the temperature of a turkey, a chicken, piece of meat, whatever, right? But say you need to uh, check the temperature of your refrigerator, and that's the only thermometer you have in the house. You stick that other thermometer in the refrigerator, what's going to happen? It's not going to register because the temperature in that thermometer doesn't go, go below 200. But does that mean your refrigerator isn't working? No, it just means you have the wrong instrument trying to decide whether it's working or not. So, the, just because it's a thermometer doesn't mean that it can take the temperature of anything, okay? So, it, it's not that your refrigerator is not working, it's the wrong instrument. Science is the wrong instrument to tell you about a person's uh, personal matters, like their honesty, their optimism, their cheerfulness, their determination, their persistence, Right, their uh, their their, their um, uh, means of resourcefulness. Uh, science can't tell you those kind of things. It cannot determine that. Uh, and those are mostly what spiritual characteristics. And no doctor and no medical technician can tell any expectant mother whether their child's going to be good, honest, or hardworking. Not going to happen. Not going to happen because those things are a God-given responsibility for the parent to instill into the child. Okay? That is a spiritual thing. So as a parent, you can inadvertently give your child uh, genetic traits and even some tendencies, right? I think genetics is fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating, especially since I'm, I'm, I'm realizing that our, our words can actually alter DNA. It can actually cause DNA to shift and change. That's an amazing thing that our Creator put within us. How much power our words have. Right? That you can, that it can have that much power. And so, uh, you know, as a parent, you don't have to, to do anything to give children genetic traits or even tendencies. But nobody can say that a person's dishonest because of their genes. Maybe because of how they were taught. Maybe because of the way they were raised, but not because of their genes. Okay? Sin is sin, but you understand what I'm trying to say. So, here's what you've got to understand too. That spiritual doesn't necessarily mean good, just good, godly, or even religious. Okay? It means that there are things that you can't measure by using the tools of science or materialism. There are things that you cannot you cannot uh, do to measure those things, right? Uh, we are, as human beings, we're the only creatures that are both spiritual and physical or material. You can use you can use physical and material interchangeably. So uh, we are the only creatures that are both spiritual and physical. Angels are only spiritual; they do not have physical bodies. And I'm probably going to get kickback on this next one because I always do. Animals are only material. That's right. They have bodies without souls. Right. 
Jojo's not in heaven around the throne of God. Sorry. I trust when you get there, you ain't gonna care. Right? But 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 it's the truth. That's why we can material can be interchangeably used with the word physical. So a, a truly a healthy, successful human being is somebody that takes care of both sides, the physical and the spiritual. This is why when the physical is off, it affects the spiritual. When you're spiritually chaotic, it'll show in your physical body. Okay? They, they play off of each other. Okay? But a healthy, successful human being takes care of both sides. On the same note, a healthy, successful society and culture is one who takes care of both sides of its people who are a part of that culture or that society. So a healthy society, a healthy culture, a healthy world takes care of both sides, makes sure that their people are healthy spiritually and physically. And you see where, 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 where the world is leading right now. We are, we are leading to a one world dominant government system, money, everything. It's leading that because it'll be to, down to a one world leader. There's going to be, there's going to be one world religion. There's those things that, that and, and you know, there's war now trying to decide what religion is, is the best one. So anybody who intends to enslave or become a tyrant or to manipulate other people, they need to introduce their materialism Right? They need to introduce their materialism and make it take over uh, the people or their culture. So in order, <coughs> excuse me, in order for a tyrant such as Nimrod or a Nimrod to be able to effectively take over a people or take over a culture or to convince people who knew the truth that their idea, their materialism is, uh, is the, the best, it is, it is the, the truth. In order for them to do that, they've got to convince the people, they've got to present them to that. So, if people have a strong, healthy, spiritual side, it's hard to enslave them or to make them be subject to a tyrant. This is why you've got to, I say it, I know, some of you probably get told it, but you've got to establish a consistent, healthy relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That means daily prayer, daily fellowship, daily intake of the Word. You've got to take advantage of every opportunity within the body of Christ to grow you, to grow your family, to bring you into a level of maturity. That's why showing up when there's service is set for a purpose. And I know that we get away, things get away, everything's wet crazy, whatever, that doesn't change the fact that it's not essential, and that, that it's not important, that's why it's vital, this is why the enemy wants to do that, because if you have a strong, healthy, spiritual side, amen, it is harder to convince someone of that tyrant's 
idea or their materialism, okay? So a tyrant knows, okay? When we're talking about a tyrant, we're talking about Nimrod. We're talking about the enemy, okay? Ultimately, the Satan. But a tyrant knows that he's got to strip away the spiritual by emphasizing the material or the physical or the brick and the mortar. That's the metaphor, right? So Nimrod knew that he had to emphasize the brick and the mortar before he could convince them that building a city was the right thing to do. This is why these verses are really logically out of order. Okay? Because he had to appeal to their spiritual side, all right, with his materialism. So it tells us that they obviously didn't have a strong, healthy, spiritual side. Right? right? right. A sense of that tells us. This is how the fear crept in. Remember? We said, it, it said, uh, oh, I, if we don't do this, we're going to be scattered abroad. Who told them that? Where did they get that idea from? Surely it wasn't God. Because God's desire was then for them to expand. Multiply, be fruitful. They thought they so somebody convinced them that if we don't do this, they're gonna they're gonna take away, they're gonna and then they're see if you don't do this, they're gonna take away your individuality and who you are. But look what the enemy was doing. It's right where we are today. Okay, it's nothing new. Okay, there's always a Nimrod. Alright? So that's the metaphor. That's why with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel, there's so much emphasis on the Comer. And the Kamar, okay, because that is uh, uh, the elimination of the spiritual. That's the material thing. That is what was going to hold them together. That very thought that we're going to be able to do what we want to do. We're going to be able to, to, to uh, get uh, all the things that we aspire to. Oh, man, what a city that's going to be. So we're going to build it higher and taller than anything that has ever been built before because they're trying to reach heaven. Okay? So, the, the Hebrew text is clearly giving us Nimrod's model or the roadmap to tyranny. It's clearly giving us that blueprint. If he wants people to be bodies without souls, which is what we, right, what we, we, we have determined that he wanted the people to be bricks and not stones. Stones have a spiritual side. They have a uniqueness. They have an identity. Bricks don't. Everybody's the same. One, you can get rid of one, no loss. Just replace it with another because everybody's the same. Okay? So we, we know that uh, his desire was for them just to be matter, just to be material. Nothing but, uh, right, uh, a clump of chemicals, if you will, like I said, like that without souls. If that's the case, then how do we explain verse 4? Let's go to verse 4. Oh, scared me for that. And they said, what? Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. Now, if he wanted them to be materialistic or bodies, physical, but no spiritual side, why? Why try to reach heaven? Heaven's the ultimate spiritual euphoria, correct? Right? That would be like... Everybody thinks they're going. 
Yeah, and 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 this is a, this is one of the reasons why you can you can see that. So a, a tyrant, or let's say Nimrod, knows that you can't subdue, then get people to serve you by telling them, "Hey, I want to enslave you. I want to do things so that I can be elevated or lifted up." If the enemy told you, you know what, um, I want to kill you, that's why I want you to act like this. That's why I want you to do that. Because I want to kill you. He, he, a true tyrant doesn't know that he can't subdue a people. He can't make them bricks by saying, hey, I want to enslave you. So he has to hunt them. Right? He has to do something to appeal to their human natural desire to reach heaven. All of us have a God spot. God created us all to need him. Whether, whether, I don't believe this, I don't believe in atheism. No. I don't believe it. Everybody believes in something. Okay? They believe in atheism. So where would you get that faith from? Did that show up? So, so even, even those that say they're atheists, even those that say we don't believe in God, even those that, that say that, they, they may not know it, but God made them with a God spot. That's why we keep, that's why sin, you have to have more and more and more and more sin because it begins to, that level of sin does no longer satisfy. So you've got to fulfill and by doing more because God is the only one that can satisfy that spot in you. We've all got a God spot. So, what, when, when he hunts them, he's got to appeal to their human natural desire. So, we, we, we all have a desire to go high. Where do you think they, they, they get the term with drugs to get high? Where do you think that came from? That's a spiritual term. Okay, because everybody desires to reach heaven, if I can say it like that. Everybody desires to go high because that fulfills the spiritual vacuum that God made inside of us. So if 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 Nimrod could appeal to that human natural desire, that spiritual vacuum to be high, if I can say it like that, to 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 reach heaven, and you say, "Come with me, and I'll let you I'll let you proceed to your highest aspirations." The sky is the limit. What you would be, what we would be able to do in this city would, would be, then uh, you want to create a tyranny, you want to do that, then you gotta tell, you gotta tell people something that's going to appeal to their human nature. That spiritual vacuum. Say for instance, you wanna you wanna create a tyranny, then 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 then, then tell people something like, oh man, we're gonna end world poverty. We're going we're gonna to not leave anybody behind. Sound familiar? That's what's driving our culture today. And what's happening is, is we're being brought under a Nimrod. So if you want to appeal to that, to that, that spiritual vacuum, uh, because what happens, they're going to be willing to decrease their freedoms in order to end world poverty. That's how... That's how cult leaders convince people to follow them. We look, look on the outside looking in because we're not there thinking, 
How could, how could someone not see that? Because he's made them all bricks. They're the only ones going to heaven. They're the only ones that have the exclusive connection to God. Their leader is the Messiah. It's not Jesus, but he's the leader. He's the, the Messiah, right? So, you know, you, you gotta you gotta appeal to that, and they'll be willing to sacrifice or decrease their freedoms. They'll, 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 they'll be willing when they hear that it's for a noble cause. And that noble cause is, is like reaching that utopian heaven of ending world poverty, right? Because you look at that and you think, oh man, that's impossible. But man, what a place that that would be if we could end world poverty. And if we do this, and what we're doing is going to do that, then I'm willing to make some sacrifices. So, so, so you say, well, in order to end world poverty, we got to end world hunger. But you got to be willing to follow me, and you got to be willing to accept the limitations of your freedoms. Because if you don't, then you might lose your freedom to be who you are and be scattered and be taken away. You see that? That's that's how those things are established. And this is what. This is what Nimrod was doing. But you see, to them, that's okay because we're going to do what? We're going to, we're going to reach heaven. We're going to make sure that no child gets left behind. Jesus said, the poor you will always have with you. And why is that? It's not because Jesus wants people to be poor. It's not because God doesn't care that people are poor. It's because people's choices put them in poverty. That's why we cannot be equal. Okay? It, it, you, just, it just, you just can't do that. Okay? Now, are those bad goals? No. Who wouldn't want to end world poverty? Who wouldn't want to take away world hunger? Who wouldn't want a child uh, not left behind? But here's the thing. In pursuit of all of these noble goals, in the pursuit of all this utopia, in pursuit, if I can say, of heaven, People are willing to sacrifice their freedom, and every tyrant knows that. And Nimrod knew that. They know that in order to make people bricks, they got to appeal to the stone part of them first. That spiritual, that unique, God-given part of them. He has to, to, to uh, appeal to that. So they're going to promise heaven, or they're going to promise paradise. That's why... Some of these religions are willing to sacrifice their lives and their families because it's going to take them to paradise. I can't fathom that. But that's the, that's, that's the mindset, promising paradise for everyone. And so that by the time it ends up being more hunger, more lack, more oppression, more shortage, it's too late. And we see that over and over and over again. Thank God it doesn't have to be too late for us when it comes to that and our spiritual walk with God. we got grace and mercy. There's a cutoff point. But thank God it's a long way there. So people go along with that kind of stuff in the first place, uh, hoping that they can bring what? Heaven to earth. Rather than recognizing that there's perfection to be found only in one place. And that's God. You cannot find perfection anywhere except God. This world will never be perfect until the Lord returns and God finishes His plan. Amen. 
We're never going to see all of these things end. We're never going to be able to annihilate all of the hurt and the pain, the hunger, the poverty, the, the destruction, the, 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 the crime. We're never going to be able to get rid of all of it until the Lord returns and God finishes what he's doing. So we have to realize that really, what we really have is the choice between equality and freedom. So either everyone can be equal or you can keep your freedom. You see what the government and the world is doing today? They're trying to make everybody equal and slowly pulling away our freedoms. Okay? That's, there's a choice. It's either equality or freedom. You can't have both. And there's no in-between. And it's the same thing with, with God. You can't live in between. Okay? That's why I, I, I don't like the phrase, I'm a sinner saved by grace. No, I once was lost. But now I've been back. I'm not a sinner anymore. I, 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 I am if I choose to sin. But I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. I've been justified. I'm a child of the living God. I don't identify with who I used to be. That's not my identity. Right? That makes me a brick. Okay? So the message of the Tower of Babel is that you can't have both equality and freedom. That's the message there. God created each of us to be stones. Unique and to have different structures, different priorities, different yearnings, different aspirations. We all have different unique abilities. I'm promising that you can make everybody equal, equally wealthy, equally happy, equally beautiful, and equally talented. That may sound good, but it's impossible to deliver. Because what we see with Nimrod and the Tower of Babel is the first example of socialism. I'm not much for quoting things or people other than the Bible or Jesus, but, but Winston Churchill said that socialism, if I, can, if I can insert the dream of Nimrod, Nimrod's vision, socialism, can make everybody equally miserable. Because you cannot, you cannot survive and function in a society where everyone is the same. So the, what, what happens? The Nimrods of our world, they play on the guilt of those who have done well. How many have ever been guilted because you're successful? Or guilty because you've overcome. Right? And the enemy can even make you feel guilty because you're blessed. How many's ever how many's ever felt guilty because you're blessed when you look at others? Okay, here's the thing. We all have equal access to the blessings of the covenant, but we do not have equal access to the favor if we don't live equally according to the Bible. Okay? We choose that. So you cannot feel bad. You can have empathy. You can have sympathy. And you can, you can, you can care because someone isn't. But you cannot be made to feel guilty. I had someone show up uh, last week at the door and tried to make me feel guilty because uh, I'm a pastor. And because this is a church. And because, uh, but, and so when I started uh, you know, conversating and asking, well, what are you doing to change your situation? Yeah. Jesus. Oh, how's that working for you? Right? 
Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He saved me. But serving Jesus doesn't put a roof over my head. It doesn't give me food. It doesn't, it doesn't automatically make me blessed. You have to put forth the effort. This wasn't a homeless person, so don't get ticked at me. <laughs> and and, and to, to make me feel guilty because I was able to put gas in my truck, but they couldn't. And then to guilt me that it was my responsibility because I loved Jesus to take care of that. You've lost your mind. <laughs> It's my obligation to love you. And loving you is telling you, you can change your circumstances. Let's talk about how we can be different with Jesus. Because you know what happens with that mindset? Three days later, four days later, two weeks later, two months later, they're knocking back at the door. I need this again. Right? That's not how... God designed it and created it. Sorry, I didn't even get up on that. <laughs> but the minerals of our world, they play on that guilt that we have done well. They also play on our sense of human nobility that deep down we want to see everybody do well. If you are a good person and you just you, you are just a good person, you want everybody to do well. I do. I want everybody to prosper. I don't want people to, to, to have to be on the bottom all the time. That's why I preach the truth. That's why I make up my mind that I'll preach the truth. That's why I make up my mind to take time to study these things, to do these kind of things, to, to present these things to you, to help you understand where God has brought you, that you can. I, 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 make, I want people to do well. I don't want anybody that God has placed in, in, in this family to be any lower than me. I don't desire to be spiritually up here and everyone else be down here. I know there's pastors and preachers like that, but I'm not like that. That's why I try my best to be transparent, to tell you I'm just as foolish as you are. I'm just as messed up as you are. Just because I'm pastor doesn't mean I got it together. But you help me stay together. Right? Your individuality, your soulness, you who God created you to be, placing you in this particular local body helps me to be able to be who God's created me to be. And it pulls out things that are in me that I didn't know were in me, but God makes those things come out because he's brought your gift here to draw that out of me and vice versa. That's why I'm going to tell you the truth. That's why I made up my mind. I don't want to compromise, right? Because, uh, again, the, the enemy will play on our sense of that human nobility that we want to see everybody, so then he'll make us feel guilty, so then we'll buckle. Then we'll say, oh, well, you know, I feel bad. So then we'll become an enabler. And that's a sin as well. That's harmful a person's ability to be unique. If I can say it like that. Okay? I'm about to finish. So, the Nimrods end up causing everybody say everybody. They cause everybody except themselves and their little small circle to be beaten down and to become wretched. 
So everybody is beaten and, 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 and under uh, a bondage except for them and their small circle. They manipulate the spiritual yearnings that God has given us as human beings. But then they turn them in, they turn those human beings into nothing but material beasts of burden to do what? To exalt themselves. For the Roman exaltation. They'll take their money and they'll, they'll, they'll make them poor so they can be rich. Don't even get me started there. That's in the church. They might encourage them to look up to heaven, but once they look up, what they see isn't God, but it's the Nimrod. They don't see God on that throne. They see Nimrod. Or they see the tyrant on that throne. So, I know I've talked a lot tonight. And I would apologize, but I'm not. I know I haven't given you a lot of scripture. I haven't done a lot of this. But these things are important for us to understand. Scripture gives us this understanding. Okay? So, the Tower of Babel, that account warns us that in every time uh, in history... To not be seduced into sacrificing the truth and the freedom and end up with a tyranny or in bondage or becoming a brick. Don't sacrifice your truth. Don't sacrifice your freedom. Don't be seduced by the enemy. So next week we're going to look at verse 5 and we're going to see God's coming down now. God's going to show up now. As they're, as they're doing this great thing and they have been seduced and now everyone is in unity building this tower trying to be higher than God. Because how many knows that they might have reached a peak that they considered the top but there would have come a time when they got to the top they would either have to stay that way or build it higher. And that's what happens when we, when we lose the spiritual part of that. Because then we, 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 it's going to keep going higher and higher. And remember, we talked in the beginning about the curse behind uh, big buildings. And I'm thinking about, you know, what they're wanting to do right here. On I Street, they want, they, want, they're, they're, they're want to put up all these tall buildings. And they want to make everybody on the same level. Come on. It's not going to prosper. It won't, it won't last. Right? We see that in history. We see evidence of that. Right? All right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to let you off the hook. Life. Amen. Appreciate you. Amen. Thank you again for your.